to be fought over 30 minutes duration. Two falls. It's the true pen two show. Two submissions and two knockouts. James will decide the win. Gives me great pleasure to introduce in the red corner. Probably the fastest tag team in Europe today. From Lancashire, the fabulous Royal Brothers. fans and welcome to the Trippy Show. My name's James Trippy. This is my show. I am channeling my inner Kent Walton today as we go back to Brit Rest is Dead and indeed to the British Wrestling Series that looks at the history of British professional wrestling. And to join me today is Mr. John Dinsdale, a fellow Briton. How are you, sir? Yes, hello. I'm feeling pretty good. Just got off reviewing a death match where one of the entrants themes was Pump It by Electric Callboy, which is the single most motivating song in the world. <laughs> and yeah, they, funnily enough, for last year's Eurovision, they wanted to be Germany's entry. So they sort of crafted this incredibly intricate met, like electro metal song. And they didn't get picked. And then lo and behold, Germany came last. I wonder why. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, we are looking at two wrestlers today who are about as far removed from deathmatch wrestling as you can possibly get. This is not your bag, is it? I mean, it's not my field of expertise, but I've never been one to shy away from grappling. I did review UWFI matches for a good year and a bit. Indeed, true. There you go. Well, what we are looking at is indeed the fabulous Royal Brothers. Many years ago, there was a mid-heavyweight called Vic Kessel who had two sons called... Bert and Vic. One would become Vic Faulkner, the other would become Bert Royal, which confused the hell out of John because he couldn't understand why they were called the Fabulous Royal Brothers when they had two different names and a different name to their father. But everybody, wrestling! Anywho, Vic was incredibly successful. He would be world mid-heavyweight champion. He would top the bills all through the 1950s and would be multi-time, uh, two-time mid-heavyweight champion. Uh, finally losing the title to um, Norman Walsh, you know, of the Snake Pit. But Vic was from Bolton, and his lads were from Bolton. And they were Lancastrians, and they were about as good a Lancastrian wrestlers as any Lancastrian wrestlers ever were. They were massively influential on the next generation, people like Mark Rocco, Marty Jones, and Steve Wright, who, you know, reinvented what junior heavyweight wrestling was supposed to be. But they did it with fire and aplomb and technical speed and brilliance that you just don't believe. Me and John were watching this last night at the same time and we were swapping notes on how innovative they were and how many moves we saw in wrestling today that they pioneered 60 years ago. That's how important these two wrestlers are. The fabulous Royal Brothers, Vic and Burt. They were great individual wrestlers. They were sublime as a tag team. So we have a playlist for you to follow that will be on the tweet when you do this. And we also have a lot to talk about. There's 13 matches on this playlist. Um, I actually shortened it down because I could, we could watch this for days and we would never get bored because every match is different. Each match tells a different story. There's a different point to each match. And yeah, I absolutely love these guys and I've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time and I've brought John along for the ride. So when I said, let's do the Fabulous Royal Brothers, what went through your mind, John? Oh, it's that tag team that you keep gushing about. <laughs> I think they've been in a few matches you've sent me before, but this is the first time we've sort of like properly sat down to watch them like for some kind of retrospective. Yeah. Um, we've done the full story here. We're starting in, well, about 1955 when Bert was very, very young. Um, he was billed as the European middleweight champion. I'm not sure he was for a French promotion. And here he's wrestling Tony Oliver. Uh, Tony Oliver is clearly the heel, but Royal is clearly the babyface, and this is fun. This is Tony Oliver bouncing all night, Burt Royal being the master technician that he is, and even at a young age. Um, Burt passed away last year in the summer of uh, 2022 at the age of 90, so this means he was probably around about 23 when he did this, and he wrestles like a 10-year veteran. You know, he is super smooth. And this is this is one of those matches where you're like, 1955? Really? Really? But this was really it. And you kind of get the essence of what Burt Royal is about. Exceptional selling, uh, fiery baby face with a wonderful technical background. What's your thoughts on this, John? Because this was quite long. <laughs> yeah, it did. 
you were sort of like, oh, the second match begins at 8 minutes and 52. And I'm like, okay, wait, the video is 50 minutes near enough. What the hell? So I knew I was in for the long haul. But no, as you said, it's it's way more advanced than you'd think it would be at that, like, during that time period. Like, I know we've looked at 50s wrestling before and it's been way more, like, entertaining than you'd think, even if that might be down to the fact that one of the commentators is snorting a massive pile of cocaine in between matches. But <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of grappling to enjoy. And you can see that like the Royal is already very comfortable in his role. He knows how to act like a baby face. He knows how to sell. And yeah, he's got more grapp- grappling tactics than you'd ever expect from someone in the 50s. Yeah, definitely. You see, you see an awful lot of things in this. Um, the... Um... This is also in French, um, just to make things easier, because <laughs> it's a French match. Uh, it's French television recording at the time. Um, and there's an interesting mix of Mount Evans rules and um, Americanized rules, because oh, there's two matches on this particular tape. One fall to a finish, no time limit. So it just goes. There's no rounds like Mount Evans rules. You're not allowed to attack on the floor like Mount Evans rules, but you are. but there are no breaks. So... It's kind of a bit of one, uh, half one, half a dozen the other. The opening match between Chris Dreyfus and Marcel Palmontier, sorry, Claude Dreyfus, Claude Dreyfus and Marcel Palmontier, ends with a powerbomb. There you go, in 1955. Uh, well, it would have been a sugar bag hold, as they called it back then. Um, but yeah. Um, and then this match just flows. It's just so nice. We well, do have to mention, when Bert had hair, it was a glorious brill cream effort, wasn't it? Yeah, it, 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 it's certainly a look, and I know you were very fond of it. And then obviously, <laughs> by the time you'd sent me that message, I was on the third match in the playlist, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of gone. <laughs> but unfortunately, he has a look about him. Of, he's one of those people that, that's looked 45 years old since he was 17. It um, reminds me of Dad. You know the YouTube sensation? Yes. Yes, he's, he's well, or just Dad's in general. If your dad was a wrestler, he would look like Burt Royal. <laughs> but Burt Royal. Unless your dad has hair, in which yeah, case he won't look like Burt Royal. He won't look like Burt Royal. But no, Burt is just, he was something else in this time period. One of my dad's favourite wrestlers, and one of the reasons why he was one of my dad's favourite wrestlers was because my dad used to go to Doncaster Drill Hall every Wednesday night, and there would be a match on, right? And for four weeks in a row, Burt Royal wrestled Tommy Mann Six five-minute rounds, they went to a draw each time. And he described it as the best live wrestling he ever saw. And it was never boring. And they filled it every week for four weeks on the trot. Because Tommy Mann was the local guy. He was the Doncaster lad who could do well. Burt Royal was heavy middleweight champion of Great Britain. And that was that's all you needed. Pure wrestling, no other draw other than this is going to be a great match. And that's why this is where the Royal Brothers kind of draw the line between being purebred wrestlers who can draw a crowd because they're purebred wrestlers and having feuds where they can tell a story. As we go through this playlist, you'll see both. What it intrigued me is the fact that he was just they're just good enough to do... People complain about, oh, the internet wrestling fans only like purebred wrestling stuff. And it's like, you don't have to have one or the other. You can have both. <laughs> Does that make sense? And this feels like a sort like these two managed to feel like a sort of almost bridging the gap between you sort of old school grappling and what we come to expect in this day and age. Yeah, they were so far ahead of their time. Shall we move on to Vic and Zoltan? Yes, because I love this. 1976. It's Vic Faulkner and Zoltan Bosic, one of the most wonderfully named wrestlers of all time, a former Hungarian who moved to the UK after the Hungarian failed uh, counter-revolution in the 1950s. Absolutely stunning welterweight wrestlers, both of them. Uh, Both former British welterweight champions at this particular point. And Zoltan Bosic is basically the heel version of Vic Faulkner. He's he's not like a full, he's what what they used to call a working heel. He's not a guy who's just going to crack you in the mouth for no reason. He's just a heel. You know, he just is a bad guy. We are at the Royal Albert Hall, ladies and gentlemen. That's Royal Albert Hall, the one in London, you know, the posh one. Um, and this was just a regular monthly card. 
this was a TV taping. Um, I think the main event was for the British Heavyweight Championship. And so this would have been seen as an eliminator for the Cruiserweight Championship at the time. This was still in the uh, Territory era uh, days. So this would have been a proper Dale Martin promotion in London when, you know, joint promotions were still joint promotions. It wasn't one promotional banner. And so this was intriguing, this match. And it ends up being a bit of a technical classic. Zoltan does get the needle in a little bit because he's a heel and that's what he's supposed to do. But it just makes people love it more and more. And you get the full high-speed technical Vic Faulkner at his absolute best when he's still kind of in his prime of his life and his ability as a wrestler is absolutely par excellence. And, you know, this match just opens with a bunch of reversals that just kind of set the stage for what you're going to see. Both Zoltan Boschuk trying to be as offensive as he possibly can be and Vic Faulkner having an answer for everything because he's Vic Faulkner and he has an answer for everything. Not everything, but you know what I mean. John, what did you think of this? Yeah, I sort of I went into it at first wondering Vic Faulkner versus because you never explained to me who they what, like you never <laughs> you're like oh they're just the fabulous Royal Brothers so I'm like right so it's going to be something right Burt Royal and someone else Royal so I'm like <laughs> have you have you put an a match in here by accident who's Vic Faulkner <laughs> it's like oh no that's the other one it's like oh right why aren't they both called Royal anyway yeah the match itself brilliant. I saw, I saw the like high speed counter exchange and then I was like, oh, this is going to be good, isn't it? Because like I'm always ready to sort of just like skip through matches sometimes because it's like, oh, this could be boring or this could be very repetitive. Or... But no, I you were true to your word. Like these two really do know how the hell to get it done in a wrestling ring and get it done right. Yeah, and definitely. there's a fucking paradise lock. <laughs> yeah, I was I was watching uh, New Japan yesterday, and um, uh, there was there was obvious um, Sonata was on, so there was obvious paradise lock talk. Um, uh, Rocky Romero believes the paradise talk should be banned, um, and that Milano AT should selection AT should be in wrestlers jail. At some point this week, I am going to have. I think probably next time Sonata is, I'm going to have to tweet Kevin Kelly and say, "Hey, look, it's not Milano's fault." He did not invent the Paradise Lock. The Paradise Lock was invented by Fit Faulkner in 1976. We have video proof. I just love that, like, the best way, like, Boschuk thinks to get out of it is to just start scuttling. <laughs> and then can't move. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, anyone who's played Fallout 4, it's like watching a bloody mutt crab. <laughs> it's just, and there's just so many pinning combinations in this. Because we, you forget about, I'm just watching the Paradise Lock now, I have it playing in the background as we're talking. And it's just like, and it's such a smooth way to get into the Paradise Lock as well. There's none of this rapid leg Sonata stuff. Learn a thing or two. Yeah, that's it. You know. If Sonata acted more like Burt Royal and Vic Faulkner, I'd actually find him entertaining. Yeah, that's it. This is the thing. A lot, I mean, it's like Brian Danielson, Sam, we interviewing him, like when he was at his peak in WWE, and he, they said, what kind of wrestling do you enjoy? He said, nothing like what I do in the ring. So if it was down to me, I'd wrestle like Dory Fun. <laughs> he said, but no one would want to watch it. He said, if I, if I had to wrestle what I wanted to wrestle, I'd wrestle a Dory Fun style match for, for forever. Just rolling arm bars and, and leg locks. That's all you need. Don't need anything else. He said, but no one would enjoy it. So <laughs> I do what I do. And um, But, you know, this is kind of proof that you don't need to take massive high risks no one is taking massive bumps. Everything's super smooth, and it's thoroughly entertaining. And the crowd is so into That's it. Mad style, because again, they probably all had jobs to get to on Monday. Yeah, maybe not these two because these two were top stars at the time. But yeah, Cobra Twist. I'm watching currently. Sultan <laughs> Bashik has a Cobra Twist on Vic Faulkner. He hasn't quite got the full twist on. He's gone for the. He's gone for the the grapevine and the the. Headlock and then an armbar. It's very Zack Sabre Jr. In fact, there's so much when you watch this that you just like that rolling leg pick that Zack Sabre Jr. does. That's a fucking move. That's a, a Royal Brothers move. There's there's so much that he's picked that people have picked up from these two and probably don't know they picked it up from these two. To be honest, <laughs> though I, feel, I think Zack probably would do. He's very you know very much into his wrestling history. And there is the classic you know lots of baby face heel shaking. Should I shake hands? Shouldn't I shake hands? Deals which is nice. 
um, you know, nice storytelling. Um, but this is kind of like Bert at his best as a babyface as well. Like he has a fire about him, you know. Um, two stitches in his forehead when he's wrestling this match as well. Of course he is. <laughs> Tough as he comes to, but you know, I, this is kind of like sets a table for how good Vic Faulkner is. Um, and out of the Sultan Bashwick is as well. I don't mean to dismiss him, but we are obviously focusing on the Royal Brothers. Um, anything else you'd like to say about this before we move on? Oh, I think we've got it covered. It's just a case of like there are 13 matches. We're going to be here all night. Yes, let us move on. The next match we are going to look at is Burt Royal again. Still in the early 70s, so we're kind of more into peak Burt Royal. And this match goes on for half an hour. He's up against Steve Logan, light heavyweight. He's giving away weight. Um, and Burt is kind of reaching his pomp as a wrestling kind of demigod. He's British mid I think he's British heavy middleweight champion, or he's on his way to being British heavy middleweight champion in this particular bout. It's a catch rate contest, which Burt Royal ends up winning, which was unusual for the time. Steve Logan, of course, one of British wrestling's great true heels. He tagged with Mick McManus for many, many years to the point that were that popular in Walthamstow, they end up having to be faces because they just wrestled there that often the fans just started cheering them because they were from Walthamstow. <laughs> Even though they were just horrible, horrible wrestlers. <laughs> um, Steve Logan as well, a wonderful te Matt technician, but never showed it in the ring. I remember an interview with Bobby Barnes saying one day, he said, I was training with Steve Logan. He said, I'm watching him doing some ring work and he does these wonderful reversals. And he said, this great like mat wrestling technique stuff and um he said to him after i said why don't you ever do any of that in the ring because you're always kind of like doing the like you know the bad guy stuff and he went look at me <laughs> steve knew his role he wasn't a great good looking man so he took what he could he grew his hair out so he could hide his chokeholds which is a brilliant heel move that someone should do more often it's just little stuff just little stuff like that that made everything like go in this match. And Steve Logan is a master heel, but Royal is a master babyface. You can't really go wrong with this. This is proper wrestle. And you like it for its honorary old bastardness. Yeah, like there was so many different like turns this match took because obviously a lot of it is like technical contests. Burt Royal shows off some incredible submission moves. Like the one where he's got bloody Logan bridging on his own neck with like his legs crossed. It just looks like the most torturous hold on the planet until Logan's just sort of folds himself back up and starts dinging him in the head. <laughs> and then there's moments where it feels like a bar fight because they're both just throwing vicious punches and forearms at each other. It's just, oh, it's perfect, ornery bastard sort of fighting. It's, yeah, again. I saw the runtime of this match and thought, I'm going to get bored halfway through this. Didn't. <laughs> I didn't. No, this is, I just watched that Burt Royal rolling leg pick, and it's like, oh, that's just gorgeous to watch. Just These two don't do short matches, do they? Like, pretty no. much every match on this card is about 20 minutes, nearly. Or averages but, out to 20 minutes minimum, apart from the last one. But they were the main event guys. They were the guys that could, you know, they could demand the time because they were the ones that put bums in seats. You know, it, there is a famous picture of the Beatles getting their picture taken with the Royal Brothers. <laughs> you know, and if that's pretty impressive, if John Lennon said that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus, then the Royal Brothers were bigger than the Beatles, and that meant they were bigger than Jesus. <laughs> I mean, some people wrestling is a religion. Indeed, it is. Um, and at the Church of the Royal Brothers, I'm a, a regular attendee. Um, this match has just got everything you want as far as storytelling is concerned. And again, it's just the right guys doing the right things at the right times. You know, Logan is massively underrated, partly because he's a heel, but it's like a lot of the British wrestlers we talk about are true baby faces. Even, you know, Mark Rocco, we really do take as a massive influence because he was, but he was a highly respected heel. He wasn't really a proper heel. Steve Logan's a proper bad guy, but he could go. And he really knew how to get the best out of Burt Royal. I bet he had a smile on his face when he saw he was wrestling this particular night because he knew he would get the audience on a against him all night long. 
he acts like a proper bastard and it works perfectly. Him and McManus were absolutely stars together. <laughs> you know, the, the Royal Brothers versus McManus and Logan was the match in this particular time period. They had a, a run of TV matches that kind of like really cemented both of the teams as stars. And this was another one of those matches. And it's just like, just magic, just magic to watch. You don't think it's going to be magic because it's like, it, it's slow, but you just get drawn into it. And that's what makes this such a stunning kind of match to watch. Let us move on though, because we have other long matches to talk about. <laughs> In fact, we have the quintessential tag team long match. The Royal Brothers versus the Rockers, Pete and John LaPac. The Rockers were kind of the heel equivalent. The Royal Brothers, a brother tag team who were exceptionally gifted as a, a wrestling pair. The Royal Brothers, exceptionally gifted as a wrestling pair. They were kind of the equivalents of each other on each side of the, the divide, if you see what I mean. Obviously, the original Rockers, not Mike Jones, Mike Janetti and, um, and uh, Shawn Michaels. Um, I like to think they were influenced by the original rockers, the Lepac brothers. Weird though, because on the video they're called the Lepac. Yeah, um, they there was they became the rockers not long after this, and Pete Lepac actually ended up tagging with Bobby Barnes when John Lepac retired. I think he was another member of the Rockers. Oh no, it was um, that was Adrian Street and Bobby Barnes with the Hell's Angels. That was it. But Tommy Lawn tagged with Pete Lepac as the Rockers as well. Um, but yeah, so this was kind of like a bit further down the line for them. So, but yes, this were this is kind of the quintessential tag match. Lots of quick tags, not particularly breaking too many of the Mount Evans rules, but you can see both tag teams are kind of like getting towards that. There's an evolution going on here that you will see through this playlist that the Rockers not only know how to break the rules, but they know how to bend them to their will on an exceptionally high level. Yeah, and it's again, it it's nice to have like two opposing sides that understand like how to bring out the best of each other as a tag, like as tag teams. It's a very quick, like paced match again, despite the runtime. And I feel like we're going to turn into broken records very soon, aren't we? Because we're gonna, <laughs> like everyone is so damn good. Like the Royal Brothers, they work brilliantly as single wrest as singles wrestlers. They work even better here as a tag team, and it's just yeah. You thought you're drawn into this like world that they're painting for you with different types of wrestling. It is. And you, as you said, the rockers really do know how to take advantage of the rule. Yeah, this is this does take you back to like it's the working men clubs of wrestling. <laughs> you know, there's, there's I still a... nostalgic for a time period I wasn't even in. Oh yeah, this is I was two when this match happened, but I can I remember that kind of feeling like it was yesterday that that era though those air cuts them sideburns there's something about this particular era of wrestling that i'm drawn to partly because it's from my very early childhood but also because it's it's so simple you know here's a team that are really good versus here a team that's a really good these guys are bad guys these are guys good guys there's no real story here than other than have a good match and they do shall we move on because there's not what else we can say about this isn't there because the next match we can say a lot more about. <laughs> oh, Sid Cooper. Yes. The greatest comedy heel of all time. Bobby Barnes and Cyanide. Sid Cooper from Bradford. Uh, Bob Barnes from London. Uh, Cyanide have just moved to um, Soho at this particular point in his career. Two quintessential British heels going up against the quintessential British tag team. Bobby Barnes... Like I said, tagged with Adrian Street and did kind of like push those effeminate buttons, though he wasn't, you know, an outright homophobic character. Um, Cyanide Sid Cooper was just an outstanding professional wrestler. He was a babyface in the 60s and was known as a carpenter. He was the guy that built houses. And his ability when he turned heel to get the absolute level best out of his opponents is just stunning. We watched him the other week uh, against Satoru Sayama, making him look like a million dollars. So when you've got the Royal Brothers on the other side and you've got Cyanide Sid and Bobby Barnes, this is going to be something special. And by God, this was amazing. We're at Wembley Arena for this match. <laughs> <laughs> Wembley. There you go. That's wrestling. 
you know, Wembley Arena, they used to fill it with pro wrestling, which is amazing. Um, and this was on the undercard. Um, and this just flies by. Max Ward is your referee. This is proper Saturday afternoon world of sports stuff. What do you think of this, John? Yeah, again, it's it's another entertaining contest that you think, like you think you've seen it all by this point. You're like five videos in, right? What else have these two got to show me? And then you pair them against another elite unit, and it's just like, well, shit. I'll get <laughs> up and just watch. <laughs> It's all, I describe Cyanide Sid Cooper as the wily coyote of British wrestling because he, you can see the clogs, cogs working in his mind that he has a plan that's going to work out and then the babyface, whoever it is, just beats him to the punch and he doesn't understand why it failed because his plan was flawless. So why would it fail? <laughs> <laughs> but it does every time because he's Sid Cooper. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a magic to that. And you know, and Vic Fong was the perfect guy to have against him because he is such a fiery baby face and essentially in the nicest way possible knows how to take the piss. And Cooper takes himself so seriously, so he's the perfect guy to take the piss. And obviously Sid knows exactly what he's doing and that's what makes it special. Um, and Bobby Barnes, much in the same way, he needs his bubble bursting and Burt Royal and Vic Fong are just the people to burst it. Any particular favourite moments, John? Oh, I can't really. I Again, it's one of those matches I just got drawn into and then I was like, oh, it's over. Fuck. <laughs> this is the trouble with like reviewing these two. They're just so good. It's like watching... It's like... Normally you'll send me playlists and we'll have like hour-long things in. So I'll occasionally be skipping through things. It's like, right, see what they've done, see what... They... Well, this one, it was a bit harder to do that. So I was like, oh, I'm actually quite invested in this. I, I won't tap over this. Yeah, that's it. It's just, it, it's it's insanely good. And there's, there's all sorts of things. To, they managed to, a lot of wrestlers work on the basis that they've got their moments, but they don't necessarily have the interconnecting tissue between those moments. So it's like they're always working towards their spot and then that's it until the next spot and i'm not saying that's a bad way to do things of course it works and it works for a reason this style is in the sense that it's so consistent that it never feels like it's either dipped or it's risen you're there to watch them play out this sequence of events they don't need spots they don't need moments because they've got like their holds and then they've got the grappling into the next holds, and then they've got the grappling into the bar fight and or the fist, the cuffs or whatever the hell they want to do next. It's it's a team where, and as just singles wrestlers, you can just watch them, like almost unfold, the map of where their match is going as it's happening. There's no waiting around. There's no setup. There's there's just a case of, right, we've got this grapple on. Right, you reverse, we get to our feet, we punch it out, we go back down, we do. It's so smooth and continuous. There's no like jagged in between moments. No, it's just, it's just consistently always telling a story. You know, in a tag match, under Matt Evans' rules, tag matches are usually best of three falls over a 30 minute period. So, no breaks. So they're telling a story of what's going on in their particular section before they tag out. There's no real double teaming allowed. Of course, the Royal Brothers were absolutely brilliant at double teams, and they they and we'll talk about that later because this isn't really the match where they've really peaked as a double team tag team. Um, but all of the things they have. Um, but it is just like there's Bert versus Sid, and then there's Bobby versus Bert, and then there's Vic versus Bobby, and then there's Bobby versus Sid, and they've got a story for each interchange. And to be fair to Bobby and Sid, they have a story too. But it's like you're constantly like it's the Royal Brothers show. You know that the whoever they're against, they're along for the ride. <laughs> but equally, it's just so fascinating to watch. Absolutely fascinating to watch. And you know, whoever you put them against, it just it's just never ending fun. And you that's the key thing as well, is 
wrestling's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy yourself. And I never, never not enjoy myself watching the Royal Brothers. I love him. I know Bert is a bit more of a serious kind of dude, but his stuff's so much fun. So, pardon me, so much fun to watch as well because he's just, it's just fun. You know, if they're wrestling at heels, they get the best out of the fun reactions from the heels. If they're wrestling the baby faces, they put on a great match. You know, there's a Bobby Barnes and Sid, Sid Cooper are going to bump for them all night. So they'll do big bump spots, but they'll take you on a journey to get you to the big bump spots. They're not just going to put them in for the sake of having been big bump spots. It's, I think as well, we kind of get spoiled with the Japanese and American wrestling system of shine spots and back and forth like that. This isn't like that. This is just a bunch of wrestling happening, if that makes sense. God mix of wrestling and vaudeville. Yeah, definitely. Which, like, like, 70s Brit wrestling always was, especially you watch World of Sport, because you had... Apologies there, my dog just knocked over a fence thing <laughs> that we're using to keep him out of a certain room. But yeah, um, because you've got these big characters, you've got these big personalities, and then you've got these like really slick sort of just chains of moves and grapples and stuff that almost look like a choreographed dance sequence. It's It's all very theatrical still, and like Bert and Vic still managed to fit into that whilst leaning more into the legitimacy of their actual like grappling backgrounds. They're like they they seem so much more than some of the other wrestlers you'd see on the shows that they worked. Mm. Not to yes. put anyone down. They were the real deal. They yeah. were the like top of the card for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And you you look at them, you just like how can, you know, they look like used car salesmen, but they have got charisma to burn. <laughs> well, it's like, as I said, Burt Royal manages to look like someone's dad. <laughs> He's got a bald spot that's almost as big as his head. His hair ends up making him look like some ragged farmer. And yet here he is, matching it up with some of the best technical wrestlers of the era. It's like... There's such a dichotomy between appearance and ability. It's ridiculous. Indeed. In fact, we'll go next to a Burt Royal singles match against Kung Fu in 1975. Kung Fu was Eddie oh. Han. Sorry? I just, again, this this one cracked me up because I was sort of like, oh, there's a wrestler called Kung Fu. And I, at first I was preparing myself for another, like, Sammy Lee situation. No, no. I'm like, oh, no, that's just a white wrestler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Irish, in fact. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> he, he managed to avoid the shamrock shit to get bloody Kung think, food instead. I, well, yeah, I, I believe he was um, trained by the Finleys, so, you know, um, was a bit hard. I know he did an absolutely... His biggest feud was when he he moved over to All-Star Promotions with Mark Rocco and Johnny Saint and um, a bunch of the other big stars in the early 80s because they were earning bigger money, basically, without TV. Um, and when they when, T, when wrestling ended on ITV, uh, All Star did a product for Screen Sport, which is now which was got out by Eurosport in the end. But Screen Sport had British wrestling on television. And the first night, the main event, or the first match, first night, was Kung Fu versus Mark Rocco. And we looked at that on the Mark Rocco um, show that we did with me and Alex. And it was it was a much kind of darker presentation of what British wrestling could be. They pre they presented it the way they wanted to, and it was clear that like um, American wrestling was a big influence on on all star wrestling, and it was very much more kind of like not swearing, but you know direct language and more promos and more kind of the wrestling with modern day wrestling that we're used to rather than what joint promotions were producing. But Eddie Hamill was fantastic, a brilliant purebred wrestler. Um, very young here, and in fact, gets the win over the then British heavy middleweight champion Burt Royal. Um, and Burt really goes out of his way to get the young man over. This is a 1 4 contest, so they always had the out of, well, you can't beat me over a 2 4 con 3 4 contest, you know. But it's still like a big victory for Kung Fu, who's just breaking through on the scene. I think I put it better myself. Have you any other thoughts on this match? 
I think we've we've managed to scratch the surface now. It's just a case of we like we just gotta explain the situation of the match. Like you know the quality you're getting, you know what you're gonna see. It's, we'd just be flogging a dead horse. A dead horse <laughs> is really good, but a dead horse nonetheless. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's difficult to explain it without going, but they're just amazing. Um, but they are. So we'll move on to the next match, which kind of tells a story. We are looking at Bert Royal, Bert Royal versus Roy St. Clair of the St. Clair Brothers, which tells sets up a story of the Royal Brothers versus the Saints, which is the next match on this card. And you get a taster of Roy St. Clair, a heavyweight, going up against the heavy middleweight, Bert. And this is... Maybe not as interesting, but Roy was, you know, the Sinclairs were a great family of wrestlers. And um, it's a, it, it's kind of an interesting North versus South thing, uh, even though the Sinclair families are from Manchester. Originally, they were from Cornwall. Um, and it, it's very much a kind of traditional 70s little story that they're going to tell over these two matches. Um, again, Max Ward is your referee. They're in London, um, and I think they're at the Royal Albert Hall again. So this would be on the same card that Vic Faulkner and um, Sultan Bossett had, because I looked at the corner and I realised that it's, yeah, it's Royal Albert Hall. So this was on the undercard of that, and um, this is a fun match. Uh, what did you think of Mr. St. Clair? Yeah, again, he seemed pretty good at what he was doing. He knew his role and managed to keep things ticking over nicely with Vic, and most of the time, I was just watching to see when Faulkner was going to lose his temper. Bert. Was wrong, Bert? I thought we were on. Bert Royal versus Tony Roy Sinclair. All right, yeah. Because um, I've got the playlist up and it's on the wrong video. Like, <laughs> as in, I've just got the, the playlist bit up. I don't actually have the videos playing. I'm like, I sort of lost my air trend. Yeah, again. Just Bert doing what he does best, waiting for him to sort of kick off at someone. And yeah, writing there <laughs> seems perfect for bringing that out. Definitely. Uh, he, not a heel, a true baby face, but enough to press Bert's buttons. And that's kind of where we get to when they both bring their brothers along. Tony Sinclair and Roy Sinclair going up against the fabulous Roy brothers. Heavyweights versus middleweights. This really should have been a mismatch because the Saint brothers were really good. But the Royal Brothers were excellent. And that's kind of the story they're telling here. They're the massive underdogs in this particular match um, because of the weight that they're giving away. But the experience that the Royal Brothers have as tag team wrestlers shines through in this particular match. I do like the second wearing a tie. That's very smart. Um, but also, Tony Sinclair would end up being one of the biggest names in British wrestling. He'd be at the top heavyweight for All Star as well as for joint promotions and for catch wrestling. And funnily enough, would be the leader of a heel faction in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Because <laughs> why not? Like, one of the best natural baby faces in European wrestling history was a heel in Japan. I mean, that really doesn't surprise you, does it? No, they were short on heels, to be fair. <laughs> there was him, Dave Finley, and um, Cat, Big Cat. They, they, were, they were a tag team together. And uh, Negro Cassus as well. And they, they, they tagged a lot together. They, there was no real heel faction. They were just kind of a faction, but Tony was kind of in charge of them. <laughs> Before the proper heel factions came through in New Japan, junior heavyweight divisions. Anywho, but this match is really about grace versus power. What did you think of this? Yeah, I, I love seeing like the different tag teams of the era and the different things they bring to the table it's like the saint brothers seemed again like a perfect foil to some of the stuff that the royal brothers want to do and as such you get this sort of compelling little back and forth game of cat and mouse as they're all trying to find the answers to each other's questions yeah this is human chess this is the kind of thing gordon solly would have loved uh but instead we have kent wallen what do you think of Ken Walton's commentary? Because you've had a few days worth of videos with Ken Walton's commentary now. We've never really discussed it. And he seems fine. I don't hate him. And he doesn't piss me off. Like, sometimes I'll hear some of the commentators on these older things we watch. And especially sometimes when I'm, like, writing up my uh, death matches and I'm hearing, like, commentators of the past saying stupid shit. But it's like... <laughs> 
he's he's another one of these like commentators that manages to do what they need to do without taking over the whole sort of thing that they're commentating on like some commentators may, like end up being the center of attention by accident be it because they don't shut up they don't know what they're talking about or they just say stupid shit he manages to just sort of present the action tell us the story get us invested while still managing to remain pretty understated yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think that's the thing. I think he, he was a he was a he was a classic voice of his time. Um, what did you think of the the outcome of the Saints match? Because obviously the the Royal Brothers win over the Saints. Do you think that was fair for the heavyweights to take the to take the loss? I mean, it keeps people guessing, doesn't it? If the main objective is to put bums in seats for the next time, like people are around. Then having like middleweights suddenly score a shock upset over heavyweights, it gets it gets people interested because it's like holy shit, these guys are giant killers. They're beating people above their weight class. What the hell is this? <laughs> Mustache twiddle. <laughs> there was another. There was one other thing I saw. I think it's maybe in the next match. We'll talk about it then. Um, but I, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Also, massive tag ropes. They're like a meter and a half long. You could get halfway down the side of the ring with a tag rope that long. Anyhow, I imagine but... it's probably so you can play jump rope in between waiting to be tagged in. <laughs> you know, keep yourself active and ready to go. Indeed. Let us move on to pure wrestling joy. The former British lightweight champion and soon-to-be world lightweight champion Johnny Saint against the former British welterweight champion Vic Faulkner. Um, I think it was best of Five, five, six minute rounds. Max Ward, your referee. This is just joyous, joyous professional wrestling between two people who love wrestling more than anything else. There's some big bumps in this. In fact, that's how the, the match ends with a, with a massive bump to the outside so that everyone's protected, which was nice. <laughs> it ends in a no contest when Vic injures himself, catching his legs in the ropes. Um, and which they do their absolute massive best to make this, make it look dangerous. Even though when you watch it back again, you clearly see him purposely putting his leg in the rope to make the bump work. But it's just like, that was the magic. The fans loved it. The fans were into it. And this is just pure hold-for-hold wrestling for 17 minutes. If you want to prove that pro wrestling can draw just for the sake of pro wrestling, you need to watch this. And this is how you do it. Just two exceptional professional wrestlers having a clean contest, which was kind of the majority of what British Pro Wrestling was. There weren't that many heels around. You know, a lot of it was just babyface versus babyface. Oh, which only way to say it was the actual world lightweight champion at the time. Of course, Vic Fulton would not qualify as a welterweight. But there you go. What did you think of this? It's just pure grappling excellence. It's a, it's a really fun, like, 17 minutes of working your socks off. Like, the pair both clearly have a game plan in mind and they just put on this masterclass in how to build a wrestling match. Yeah, they did this Max Ward taps them both on the back, realising he doesn't actually have to do anything in this match. Just stand in the corner and he'll be fine. Um, but yeah, this is just... It's two Lancastrian wrestlers are just that catch style. Just go for it. It's, it's two master escape artists. Um, just wrestling each other in a purebred wrestling match. It's the kind of thing that, you know, Johnny Saint never caught on in America because he wasn't big enough, but also it's just a philosophy of wrestling that's alien to what American wrestling would be. Um, Vic Fulton was in the, kind of in the same boat as that. It's, it's not something that will work anywhere else except for the time period it was in. They were wrestlers built for this era, I think. Yeah, 100%. Like, the crowd's ready for them. The show is ready for him, and they've obviously drawn like a massive amount here. So it just feels like the perfect like time and place for a match like this. It wouldn't, as much as I enjoy watching it, and I imagine a lot of other people would enjoy watching it. A lot of people would just mourn about this, and then you know we'd see week long Twitter threads about, oh my god, did you see Johnny Saint Vic Faulkner? Why was that a main event fight? Oh my god, it was so boring. Ugh. <laughs> that's that's you Twitter. That's what you sound like. That's it, because people can't enjoy joy. 
But let us move on, because this is the sublime, so let's go to the ridiculous. The ridiculous rollerball Mark Rocco versus Boyd Royal in an eliminator for the British mid-heavyweight, sorry, heavy middleweight championship. This is outstanding. We join it in round four, and they go hell for leather. Now, Rocco was not an out-and-out heel. He was a guy who wrestled and you cheered him when you didn't. That was the way he always perceived himself. Now, he always gave it the mouth, and he always gave it, you know, plenty of heelish tactics. And the general feeling was that he would go four or five rounds, and then when he got frustrated because he couldn't get what he wanted, he would start breaking the rules. But equally, would go four or five rounds quite happily pure wrestling anyone. And then if he broke the rules, he would lose his temper. And if Bert lost his temper, you knew you were in trouble. And this went for the full distance. This is just exceptional storytelling. The feud between Rocco and Burt Royal was the precursor to the feud between Marty Jones and Burt Royal. Uh, sorry, Marty Jones and Mark Rocco. And it was a different take because it was pure science and it showed how great Rocco was as a pure wrestler. Um, the, the feud he had with Marty Jones was more of a brawling, kind of high-paced, up-tempo match in a modern junior heavyweight style. This is kind of back to the old days. This is still a Lancastrian kind of derby, uh, Bolton versus Manchester, but it's just pure chain wrestling. And Rocco is so good at that because he'd done so much with Colin Joynston. He'd done so much at the Snake Pit. He knew how to get the level best out of it. So Burt Royal is the absolute perfect guy to get him over as the next heavy middleweight star. What do you think about this? Because this is very much getting into the modern era of wrestling and it's a completely different story being told by Burt here. Yeah, it's again, it's another high stakes match and like both of these wrestlers excel in high stakes contests. Rocco is arguably one of the best like British wrestlers of all time. And to sort of see where he like got a lot of his like ideas from against someone as scientific as Burt Royal, it's just again it's another really well constructed, well executed wrestling contest. And again, looking like when I look at the runtime of these things, I'm sort of just like, oh god, I'm gonna get bored at like the ten minute mark, and you don't. It's honestly for someone as impatient as me, it still moves at enough of a clip that I don't feel the need to skip it. See, this is it. It's like I'm, I've watched obviously the New Japan Cup this week, and some of it's so slow compared to this. And these are matches that like, happened I get to, 40 years ago, I 50 to, years ago. I'll occasionally get to New Japan main events and I'll see the 40 minutes and I'll just skip to the, like, I'll watch the first five minutes and then just skip to the 20 minute mark. Well, this is the thing. It's like, I can watch Tanashi and Okada and Jay White and those guys go 40 minutes. That's great. Not all of them should be going 40 minutes. Shouldn't, shouldn't be going 12. But, you know... I've watched these two wrestle each other all day, all night, because they would have something interesting to say in their matches constantly. You know, and this match builds to a crescendo. It's not pure wrestling for the sake of pure wrestling. There's an there's an urgency to it as they get the pinfalls and they've got to get a winner at the end. And I was like, when they got to the end, they were like, oh, they've got to have a winner, so we're going to have a coin toss. It was like, oh. <laughs> it's like, really? Can't we just have a wrestling match? That would be, that would be nice. But yeah, there you go. What did you think of that finish? It was not what I was expecting, but then again, there were like always like sort of weird finishes occasionally when there's like big stars that you don't want people like to see get sort of buried. Well, not buried, but you need to protect them. And so like a finish like this, where it's like, oh, you lost out to this. Can't be helped. Tough shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, it's very much there to serve a purpose, but it, it's it's done. By the way, shout out to John Lister on uh, on the Twitter there, whose YouTube channel is full of these matches. By the way, <laughs> uh, this is another John Lister one. There's four or five on this one, um, and there's there's loads of stuff. Um, uh, there's there's loads of stuff from his channel on this. But let's just move on to the next match because Rocco versus Bort Royal is a feud you need to know about. It's one of the best and most important British wrestling feuds of the 1970s. Um, go find their matches. It's really good. Or just watch this playlist, and at least you'll get a taste of what it was like back then, because Bert was setting Mark not- Rock up as the next big thing. Sorry? People can see we're not just being hyperbolic either. 
No, it, it really is that important. Um, the next matchup is a bit of an aside. It's a bit of an odd one. This is the last of the Royal Brothers. As I, I remember as a child, this was the last match I ever saw them in on television. It was from the early 80s. Um, can we just have a, a word about Brian Crabtree's jumpsuit, which is phenomenal. If you've ever, if you've ever wanted to see a grey-haired middle-aged man in a flared jumpsuit, this is the one for you. Arguably, not many people want to see that, but by God, Max did wear it. Anywho, uh, this is the best writing promotion, so it means it's in Manchester. Oh no, best right, yeah, best writing was they owned no, it was Lisco and Lisco and Brown was the Manchester promotion. Best writing was, I think it was uh, Southwest. I can't remember. Anyway, it pits Lee Sharon, the infamous heel, and King Ben the baby face against the Royal Brothers. So this is kind of like British wrestling's can they coexist tag team match. The only one I can think of. And the answer to that is no, they can't. <laughs> and that becomes patently obvious from the first round onwards. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Because this is an odd little match, but I threw it in there just to kind of show you what could be done. Yeah, it, it's again, it's relatively entertaining mainly because of the antics of Sharon and Ben, who are just like continuously infighting and bitching and mourning and then getting their ass kicked by the Royal Brothers. True. You know, I mean, they do they do try. At least Sharon does get one fall back for their team. Um, it's just a bit odd. It's just a bit weird. Because Sharon's trying to cheat and Ben doesn't want to. And it is just like I'm assuming they were setting up a singles match between Sharon and Ben at some point. Or but I don't you just kind of like, huh? I think what I think if I remember correctly earlier on in the commentary that the basically said that Sharon's tag team partner had not shown up and King Ben had offered to tag with him. If that makes sense. And that was the story of the match. But yeah, yeah. it's it, it's it's a very sort of traditional yet entertaining take on the will they want they exist. <laughs> No, they didn't. They failed miserably to coexist, and then they, <laughs> they got well, failed miserably to win the match. There you go. We are getting to the end of our playlist, but we could not complete this playlist without perhaps the ultimate Vic Faulkner feud as well. Vic Faulkner versus Jim Bricks for the British Welterweight Championship. Now, we've talked about the unfortunate story of Jim Bricks before on this particular show. Um, currently, he's in care because of... Um, basically uh he's senile and whilst he was senile he also uh attacked his former partner and killed her which is something i want to bring up because you know um these things happen and equally we, we also talk about uh on this show Vern Gagne who did also kill somebody whilst senile um so I would like to point out before we started, and I'm sure that might put a different light on this match for you, John, but equally, it's not necessarily the same person that wrestled this match, is it? I, I'm always going to respect Jim Bricks for what he did, like for the wrestling game and the sort of how bloody brilliant he was at it. It's like you've, you've got to separate the art from the artist sometimes, especially when it's sort of tragedies that are pseudo out of control like out of someone's control like once someone turns senile it's just kind of yeah the wild not, well i don't want to say the wild west but it's not that person that's dealing it's not the person that lives that's dealing with the those issues is it so but we wanted to raise that to make sure you're aware because if you go and like look him up then there's things that are going to happen so you know, we want you to wear that, be aware of that before we, we go on. But we'll go on to this wrestling match, which was for the British British Cruiser, <laughs> British Welterweight Championship and Belt. Um, six five-minute rounds, two falls to decide the winner. Jim Breaks was as absolute height of popularity, shall we say, as the ultimate heel in the British lightweight divisions and lightweight ranks. Vic Faulkner was the ultimate babyface. And there was a lot of respect between the two as professional wrestlers. Jim Briggs always shook hands at the beginning and the end of the match, especially in a championship match, because that's the way he was. Now, what he did between those two handshakes 
was pretty horrible. <laughs> you usually try to live up to his name and break something. Usually somebody's arm. And if you ever wanted to see a wrestling match where two people try and remove each other's arms for over the space of 25 minutes, this is it. Because this is about the Jim Brick special and how to stay away from the Jim Brick special for as long as you possibly can. And then try and come back and win. In fact, to be honest with you, it opens with Rick Faulkner trying to put the Jim Brick special on Jim Bricks. That will tell you how important that particular one particular move was in this match. And this is just absolute brilliance. This is just insanity as far as pro wrestling is concerned. Just on the quality level of the heat, on the quality level of the wrestling, this match has it all. You know, there are a few perfect wrestling matches in the world, but this comes down close. In my opinion. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, I'd loved it. I love watching, like, someone as sadistically creative as Jim Brakes trying to, like, mangle someone's arm. And then to have some, like, the baby face be equally as adept at, like, mangling limbs. It's just like, yep. I'm going to enjoy this because someone's limb is almost always going to be in the wrong direction. <laughs> There's also the point the story is so well told. When Jim Brakes took the title off of uh, Vic Faulkner, Jim had uh, distracted a referee. When the referee came around, the first thing he saw was Vic Faulkner punching Jim Brakes in the mouth. And of course, he had to call a disqualification under Mount Evans rules. That's how Jim got the belt. So... All through the match, he's just pointing at his chin going, go on then, you know you want to. Because, of course, Vic Faulkner has the most famous temper in British wrestling. And that's the whole match. Burt's at ringside to try and keep Vic under control. (laughs) And largely succeeds. And, in fact, it's a distraction from Burt that wins Jim Briggs the championship. I never found this match, and I've wanted to watch it for a long, long time. So the fact I finally did find this match brings me great joy, because I'd read about it, but I'd never seen it. And this is just outstanding. There's another match between Jim Brakes and Johnny Saint from the 1975 Cup Final, which is equally as good as this in a slightly different way, because it's not about... It's more of a pure wrestling match. This is about heat, and using pure wrestling to create heat. And it's and it's just simple. No one really leaves the ring. There's no like out the stuff, out the ring stuff. It's just pure wrestling and a bit of cheating and just creating the right story with two incredible wrestlers. Put it better myself. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you I very couldn't much. Put it better myself. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And then we come to the end of our playlist, and it kind of brings us up to the modern day because. Vic Faulkner will wrestle Dave Finley on the last match from 1984. This is probably Vic Faulkner's last appearance, I would think, on World Sport Wrestling. Um, he tended to go away from the business after this. I believe he'd started his own brewery uh, at this point. Um, Burt Royal was a counsellor in Bolton for many, many years. Um, and, and quite the important man in local politics. Um, and here is the, here Vic Faulkner as a middleweight, truly middleweight, as he got older, he put on a bit of weight and was nowhere near his welterweight peak. Um, going up against the heavy middleweight, light, well, he was actually at this particular point, Dave Finley was world mid-heavyweight champion, having beaten uh, Marty Jones for that particular belt. And this is a proper heel versus babyface match. Dave Finley is in the, the process of growing out his trademark mullet. <laughs> um, and... Um, Vic is angry and Dave is angry and by are they angry for a full like you know 20 minutes <laughs> there's lots of anger in this with some more angry but it's brilliant to watch what did you think of this John? Well, the second you put Dave Finley into a match you know you're in for a good time especially when it's against a fiery baby first because it's like well these two are going to end up slugging the shit out of each other at some point during this one and yeah a lot of anger a lot of fire a lot of wrestling and just fun. Yeah, this is it's it. Just fun. This is 40 years old, and we're now watching Dave's son um, slowly work his way up the ranks of Bullet Club and getting there very quickly. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and you kind of like, I, I didn't, I knew obviously um, David Finley's going to take some stuff from his father, but you really see how much he's taken from him in this match. Like, this particular era of Finley, 
um, the poise and you know the the ability that both of them have. Um, I, but I mean, the, Dave Finley's bumps are just ace. Just ability to just take a bump was just fantastic. But he made he only needed to take the one to make everything look brilliant. <laughs> and there's the, there's all sorts of like there's all the Vic Fulton stuff in this like missing a drop kick and feigning an injury just to get an advantage. There's the using the legal use of the ropes. At one point, he goes to attack Finley at the bell and runs a drop kick into uh, Dave Finley's then wife, Princess Paula. <laughs> and it's just genius. And Vic Faulkner, again, fiery baby face. He knows how to sell against top-notch heel. Dave Finley was so good back then. He's always been good. He was, he was just exceptional in whatever company he wrestled for. Wherever he was, he really knew what he was doing. And Vic Faulkner was the same. And trying to get the young star over, he knew his job in this particular match. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this match? I'll watch it. That's it. You just go watch it. Go watch all of these matches. It's got Finley in it. Yeah, Yeah. it's got Finley in it. Says it says enough. Go watch all of these matches. They're awesome. (laughs) So. Definitely one of the easier playlists to watch. 13 matches and it's around about four hours long, but it just flies by. And it, and it literally stretches from 1955 to 1984. There's 30 years worth of wrestling and all of it's vital to watch. It's just insane. It's intense, purebreds, pure wrestling, storytelling, anything you want. The Royal Brothers were everything to professional wrestling in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. They were just outstanding. And one of the things that always strikes me with them as a tag team was they were anarchy. You know, you watch them as a tag team. They took Mount Evans' rules and ignored them, really. But they did everything within the boundaries of those rules. And it always reminds me of watching the Marx Brothers movies. You know, there are conventions to what a Hollywood movie should look like. The Marx Brothers knew that and then ignored it and made the movie they wanted to make. And this feels like exactly the same thing to me with what the Royal Brothers as a tag team were like. They were just so exceptional at what they did that the rules didn't matter to them. And they could get away with it because they could make you believe they were following the rules anyway. Have you got any closing statements about the Royal Brothers having now experienced them as much as you probably can do in the modern day and age? You you weren't just blowing smoke up their ass, which I do which I'm glad to see. Because, like, when you hear that much praise lavished on something, half the time, if you're me, you're a vindictive fuck and just want to see them fail. <laughs> it's just like, oh, wow, they had that much faith in you and this is all you were capable of. It's like, no, no, they are they are as good as you say they are. Thoroughly enjoyable, thoroughly, like, important to the Brit rest scene and probably way more inspirational to the wider wrestling world than anyone will ever imagine yeah that's true there we go it's it's just you don't understand what they did until you watch what they did and then you'll understand it and then you will go oh and that's that's just how good they were just on another level that good and people don't remember them because they were in the wrong era if they had been 10 years younger they would have been, they were massive stars in their own era. But if they'd been 10 years younger, they would have had massive TV feuds with Marty Jones and Mark Rocco, Dave Finley, Steve Wright, um, all of these people, Chip Cullen. They would have just been off the page. But because they were 10 years younger, 10 years older, they were the ones that brought that generation on. They were the ones that did, they built the houses for that generation to make me. And that's what's really important. And I think their presence is only really being felt now as we kind of like discuss how great they were. But there we go. And that ends our episode on the fabulous Royal Brothers. But Royal, Vic Faulkner, thank you very much for giving hours of joy to wrestling fans all over the world. Right then, John, where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at Twitter handle John Deathman. That is the gateway to hell. It leads you to ramblings, writings, opinions, Funny screen caps from matches that I'm usually either watching or writing up. You can find me on Instagram at John underscore Deathman, which is more of the same, but it's more of a visual element. It's no longer just a backup account. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can find me on Patreon at the Deathmatch Digest. 
which will give you weekly deathmatch content, a mix of free to read and paid for content if you catch it. Well, now, at the time of recording, there is a new free to read feature all about the dreaded world of intergender wrestling and why I support it. It's a really good piece. I've read it. It's fantastic. Ah, you can find me at Sheriff Weinstar on Twitter. You can find the show Troopy Show on Twitter. You can find me, Sheriff Weinstar TX, on Instagram. The show Troopy Show on Instagram. You can find us on Discord, Troopy Show Podcast. You can find us, me on Mastodon, Troopy uh, Sheriff Weinstar. You can find us on Patreon, the Troopy Show, where you keep us free forever for everyone. We will be back next week. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs>